This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. The world is full of amazing people, and once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Humans. Today, we're going to hear from Nick Bell, who worked in the Northern Territory with the Fire and Rescue Emergency Services as a watch commander for over 30 years. Now based in southeast Queensland, Nick is working as a crisis and emergency critical incident consultant, advising on the preparation for all matters of crisis and emergency. There's lots of words here. <laughs> emergency events. Oh, we're going to just get to it. Let's do it. Nick, welcome, buddy. How are you? Good. Thanks very much. Good intro. I like it. Oh, uh, mate, there's lots of words. words there. they're, all, yeah. they're all crossing yeah. each other. <laughs> and all that sort of shit, so I do apologise. Think work health right. and safety on steroids. There oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> Not that we condone steroids, but that's okay. No, of course. <laughs> Mate, this, this whole interview is all about you, right? And the whole idea of this is to understand who you are, what you are, what happened, why, mm. all that sort of stuff. So first question I always ask is, what's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? Oh, gosh. I was born in uh, Port Moresby, New Guinea, one of five kids, so my very first memory is uh, really running around the jungle as, as, a, as a little kid. Uh, oh, really? You, know, you look yeah. Papua New Guinean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, was, it was just a, a, a great, great experience and a great opportunity. And uh, my parents actually European and migrated to Australia back in the 50s and then uh, early 60s went up to uh, New Guinea, got jobs up there respectively, met at the uh, local hospital and, uh, you know, six weeks later got married as you did back in those <laughs> days. There was no, no TV or anything yeah, like yeah. that. So, you, you know, you, you just get on with the... Uh, and then have five. Kids. And add five kids later. There you go. Boom. So how long were they in New Guinea? Uh, 24 years or all, all oh, wow. up. So I, yeah, so I left uh, New Guinea, well, uh, with the family, obviously, when I was 11 years of age. Okay. And your number, what of the five? Oh, I'm right in the middle. I'm number three out so of five. So do you have middle child syndrome? Uh, no. Well, I don't think so. You know, maybe uh, maybe a psychologist <laughs> listening to this might think otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Fair enough. So do you remember, like, school and that sort of stuff? You did that in, in Port Moresby, did you? Yeah, that's right, yeah. So I went, went there with all, all the locals and it was just uh, fantastic. Uh, you know, just absolutely fantastic stuff. Came, We landed in, um, when we did migrate to Australia, uh, we uh, landed in uh, Western Sydney in Blacktown and it was a, I always remember the massive culture shock coming to Western Sydney in Blacktown, straight out, straight out of Papua New Guinea, like literally on wow. the plane. And it was just a, a massive culture shock and I remember it taking me years to adjust and, and it was obviously spoke English, the, the slang was different, the, the, just the, the whole you culture. Had to wear shoes. Well, I had like... to wear shoes. <laughs> I had to wear underpants. It's, it's like... ridiculous. <laughs> so when you're a kid in Papua New Guinea, Guinea. What's, yeah. what's that like? Well, it, it was good, obviously. You know, uh, the uh, you know little white kid running around with all the locals, and I learned to speak the language. And uh, you know, we, we ate the food, and it was just fantastic. Well, you're the a culture, local, you? yeah, really, just a local. And uh, and and I, I have to say that those experiences. I mean, living in the jungle, we spent part of that time. Uh, my dad was taking care of a mining camp, which was uh, had been shut down. But uh, you know, we were very remote. So we lived literally in the jungle. 
uh, in in some housing there, and um, I, I remember the, you know just the wildlife and the the, the scenery and the it was just amazing. Uh, just you tell people about it and they wouldn't believe it. But you wouldn't know any different. That's where you were born. That's Did, where that's just that was you. That, that, <laughs> that was us, you know. And I look back at the photos now that obviously all black and white and yeah. old and grainy, but I look back at them and and, and just great great memories of New Guinea and fantastic stuff. So you were born in Port Moresby. Port Moresby, New Guinea. My brother and I is uh, three years younger than me. I had two two sisters. One unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. Two sisters older and uh, and a younger sister as well. So we uh, they my two older sisters born in Rabaul. My brother and I born in in uh, Port Moresby. Yeah. And my younger sister born in Samurai, which is if you look at the, the map of New Guinea, it's a tiny little island just off the right at the, the tip and the end of uh, New Guinea. So mum and dad worked in the mines. Is that where no, they? Or? No, they worked in the hospital actually. In the so hospital. yeah. So my mother's a nurse and mm-hmm. my father was a dental technician. Oh, okay. And, yeah, and uh, landed. They, uh, my mother's Dutch father's English, and my father's passed away now. But uh, they landed in uh, my mother in Sydney and my father in Melbourne, and uh, they both got bored pretty quickly. And they were in their you know just sort of twenty early twenties and yeah, said, yeah. "Oh, bugger this!" And saw this ad. I remember them both saying, "You know, independently," but uh, saw this ad in the paper saying, "Come work in New Guinea," and uh, it was still a territory of Australia back yeah. then because it got its independence. I think seventy two, seventy three. I can't remember the exact date. And um, and they said, "Oh, great, great stuff. Good money. We're, we're off." Why and, not? Uh, yeah, it was jumped on the plane and off they went to New Guinea, as you did back in those days. Well, I suppose when we uh, when we first got married, we went to London. Yeah. Same sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Really, we went to London. We worked there for nine, ten years, and then come back. Yeah, that's right. That's and it's just going to New Guinea. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool, especially if you're from over in Europe and stuff as well, because it would be completely different. Well, that's right. So I'm a bit confused about exactly who I am anyway. So I was, you know, my mother's <laughs> Dutch, father's English. I was born in New Guinea, migrated to Australia, and I'm married to an Italian. Go oh, figure. Oh, wow. There we go. A bit <laughs> So do you class yourself as Papua New Guinean uh, or well, Australian? Well, I feel, look, I feel a great affinity for the country. It's fantastic. Uh, politically and, and uh, you know, socially, it has a way to go, and that's unfortunate because the, the potential is fantastic yeah. over there. But I think, you know, I'd like to think in in, in years to come it'll, it'll settle down a bit and I'd love to go back for a visit. I, I feel a, a very strong longing to go back. Mm. That's where uh, you were born. Yeah, it's where I was born. So it just hasn't been possible so far. Um, but uh, funnily, funnily enough, when uh, I tra- started travelling as an adult when I was in my uh, very early 20s going to Europe, I felt a great affinity when I landed at, uh, you know, Paris, uh, uh, Charles yeah. de Gaulle Airport or yeah, Heathrow or something. I felt I felt home as yeah. well, you know, and uh, as much as I love... Well, oh, you were uh, been brought up that way because that's your parents. Yeah, so. that's right. You know, we chewed through passports, we travelled, we did all sorts <laughs> of... Yeah, absolutely. So it was, it was just a, a very, uh, you know, very mobile life back then, yeah. So the most important question in that then is mm. Papua New Guinea are playing Australia in rugby league. Who are you barracking for? <laughs> yeah. I'm torn between the, the got two. you yeah, a I, football I, game. Which one are you picking? I Come know. On. Well, I always go for the underdog, so I'm going to go for New Guinea. There you go. Yeah. That's all right. At least yeah. we to- know to- where to- your affinities are. Total trader. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, not a trader, that's where you were born. <laughs> that's like I'm a New South Welshman. So yeah. where well, I'm living in Queensland here, it's wonderful when State of Origin happens because I can wear my blue shirt. It's where I was born. I can't choose where I was born. So there you go. Oh, I see. It's all right. <laughs> so in school in New Guinea, what was um, – were you good? Were you bad? Were you – what sort of kid were you? Well, I mean, I've always had – 
a great affinity for, you know, geography, English and so on, maths and, and so on. I, I wasn't very good at that. So I, I really excelled at uh, the written word and, and uh, you know, public speaking, those sorts of things I was I felt very comfortable with. So there was one side of me that did well, uh, the geography and the English side, and uh, the, the other side, the maths and the more analytical science. <laughs> so wasn't I, you? It was not me. I, I learned it later on in life to, you know, for the fire service and yeah. the fire science and the fire engineering uh, that I've done. But, but uh, until then, I... I was not good. I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. So, as a young kid in Port Moresby, what do you what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, is there a? Would you remember back? Like, okay, I want to be a fireman, or I want to be a copper, or I want to be this or that, or you just had no idea and just living life. I had not the slightest clue. And let me let you in on a little secret. Even to this age, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I'm, I'm hearing now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm it's all amazing, over that. It? <laughs> it's crazy. I just don't want to grow up. Yeah, I think that's more it. <laughs> and I'm so envious of people who know exactly what they want to yeah. do when they're you know, 11 years of age. I want to be this. I want. To, I still don't know. Although I've had a wonderful career and uh, I, I sort of uh, had a great career while I was waiting to find my, <laughs> yeah, what I was going to do when I grew up. Oh, you'll find it. It'll happen. Oh, thank you. Thanks very much. <laughs> when yeah. you grow up. Yeah. So you then jump on a plane and you, yep. you fly to uh, Australia, to the big smoke. Had you been here before? Uh, look, we'd been once uh, in, in Sydney because mum and dad had bought a house in Blacktown. Mm-hmm. And, and so we'd spent Why a, Blacktown? I, I don't know. I still to this day don't know. Maybe but it, wasn't it was sort of that uh, less expensive out that way at less, the time? Yeah, less expensive, but it was, wasn't too far from my grandmother, on my, oh, my okay. maternal grandmother. So I think that that might have been the, the reason why. And, you know, houses back then, of course, I'd, you know, obviously a, a couple of thousand pounds. Or something. Yeah, I yeah. really don't know what it was back then. So I, I think that that was probably the reason why uh, we ended up in Blacktown. Because Blacktown back then is a bit different to Blacktown these days. Well, it was pretty tough back then and it's yeah. pretty tough today. So yeah. I think there's some commonality there, but we we still, um, you know, it was a tough, I, I won't lie to you, it was a tough childhood growing up. As soon as we hit Australia, it got real tough after that. So, so I, were you I, bullied or in what way? Well, I, I think that uh, uh, that's part of it. I had a tougher upbringing. My, my father, uh, I think, had some trouble adjusting to, you know, life in Australia and uh, unfortunately was drinking and that, that mm-hmm. uh, impacted on the family and, uh, you, you know, there were some challenges there. So uh, for, for me, everything changed when we got to Australia and it got tough, real tough. And my memories of, of Blacktown, whilst I not you know denigrating the place geographically oh, or anything. No, course, it's nothing yeah. to do with that. My personal experience was you know you can get I, a job. yeah I ended up failing at school completely. Everything mm. was you know everything fell in a heap. And uh, uh, back in those days, if you didn't do well in school, you were bullied and you were you yeah. know, uh, singled out and so on. It was so. What's that? Eleven, twelve? You would have been just sort of just before high school. Yeah, not, not, yeah, that's right. Not not long before high school, and then uh, a couple of years in Sydney, and then we moved up to Darwin, where I spent spent you know the rest of my time. And did uh, you find you fitted more in Darwin? Look, a little bit more, but uh, you know things got worse at home. So I, okay. I it was uh, I left home early. I left home uh, I was fifteen years and ten months. So it was just before my sixteenth birthday. Yep. And I went to work on a cattle station, and uh, I, I, I literally couldn't get the education stuff right. It just mm-hmm. fell in a heap. And so as a result, there wasn't, uh, you know... Did you find you were smart at stuff, though? And what I mean by that is that a lot of a lot of kids aren't taught the right way. Like, yep. I, I learned this way and one of my children learned that way, another one learns yeah. that way, another one... They're all different, right? Everyone yep. learns differently. But at school, it's all... Especially back in the day, mm. here's your textbooks, read them, then do an exam, and then if you fail that, you... you 
gone. Don't worry, you, you get thrown to the wolves. It's like it's like that. But yeah. but I was really intelligent at stuff. Like I could mm. do stuff. I could I could make things happen. I, I was like a gift of the gab type thing from a, a chat point of view. Like you were saying, you're good at public speaking and writing and stuff like that. Mm. Did you find back then that that's how you sort of made it? That's where you got to where you were because you could do that sort of stuff? Well, well yeah, that's right. And it became uh, very obvious to me that I had to compensate for my shortcomings very yeah. quickly. So, and I, I don't think that was a conscious decision, Brett. It was more of a... But you got to do uh, what you got to do. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do to survive, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, essentially I'd left home before my 16th birthday and was on my own yeah. and have been, you know, to this day. And and, uh, and that's fine. I mean, these things happen in life and people have a, a tougher story than me to tell. But I, I, I found that I played to my strengths more than I played to my weaknesses. And yep. I didn't... And that's how you, you know, but, yeah, That's right, yeah. I don't, don't bother being a chemical engineer if you're not cut out to be a chemical engineer. Yeah. So that's all. And I left that uh, aside and then I... I, I found my brain worked very – I was very good at analysing things. I could analyse things very, very quickly and mm-hmm. this served me uh, very well as a, as a watch commander. I finally you know, ended up 15, 16 years ago as a watch commander and, and in, in command of crews responding to critical incidents. I was able to go to a job and, and analyse it very quickly. And, and then work like, out, do that. That's right. That, now, uh, yeah. having said that, let me put my caveat on that. I, I've made plenty of mistakes along of the way. So, you know, there's not – it's not like I got it right every single time and uh, that's for probably another podcast but I we'll, <laughs> we'll workshop all my shortcomings back that's uh, right we'll get there I'm yeah, sure yeah, yeah. so you're a 16 year old kid and you get a job yeah. on a cattle station you got a job on a cattle, cattle station yeah so so basically I, 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 well uh, let me just be frank here I was kicked out of home because yeah. I was you know I was acting up now there's reasons why you would act up if you you know if you were having to contend with some some violence and oh, of uh, course and, and, uh, and so on at home so what about the other kids how'd they handle it yeah tough they've uh, uh, they they all had the, in their own way some challenges, but uh, you know they, I, I think as the eldest boy you bear the brunt of these yeah, things, yeah, and for, that's for sure. yeah that's right. So uh, I know I'm not saying for for a minute that uh, that's not to take away from anybody else's experiences. No, of course. Well, mate, remember this podcast about you, right? Oh, all right, yeah, okay. And, 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 no, it's tough. <laughs> it, is, it is a tough thing, and yeah. we talk about the tough stuff, but yep. it's yep. life. It's these things. So if those things didn't happen to you, then you wouldn't be sat there right now. No, because they're parts of your life. They're parts of the experiences that you've had, that you've mm. learned from, that's made you a better human? Well, I mean, I've got, I've got this saying these days, you know, I, I don't mind anybody who has a cry. And in fact, you know, I'm, I'm quite happy to admit that I've cried many times, especially at failures at, as a watch commander and, you know, I've seen people die and, and so on. I, you know, you go home and cry, but what are you doing about it? And what's, what's so there's part A and part B. Yeah. Part A is you shed the tears, right? But part B is now what are you going to do about it and how are we going to climb out of this? Mm. Uh, no, no matter what, do something. Go for a run, do something. Whatever it is, get yourself out of it. So, yeah, as a 16-year-old kid, uh, going back then, I, I worked on the cattle station two and a half years, and um, and and as it turned out, um, it was these great two and a half formative years. They were short on stockmen. Now, um, the the it was actually full-blood Aboriginal guys, Indigenous yeah. guys out there. They got them out of Catherine because I was working on the Tipperary cattle station, and they were short. And they said, oh, they said to me, "Oh, you, hey, young fellow, do you want to?" Because I'd gone down there to do like some sort of farming or some sort of yeah, handyman yeah. work. And they said, "Do you want to ride? Can you ride a horse?" And I said, "Yeah, absolutely. Of course I can. Never been on a horse in my life." <laughs> <laughs> That's a gift. Yeah, of course I can. <laughs> no, of course I can. No problem. Yeah. So I got on the back of a horse, bucked off a hundred times, and so on, and went uh, horseback cattle. 
mastering. And then there was a, a shortfall. They were doing some bull catching as well at a place called Fish River. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said, oh, do you want to come and do some bull catching? I said, yeah, no problem. Yeah, look, I've, I know how to do that. No, I've never <laughs> thrown a bull, done anything in my life. No problem. So anyway, I did that and uh, I got hit a few times by bulls. I'm and sure you did. It was the Wild West. And then I spent three months in a helicopter and they said, oh, can you shoot a rifle? And I said, ah, easy. No problem. <laughs> I can ride a bull. I yeah. can shoot. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. You know, you're looking at John Wayne here, junior John Wayne. You know, let me out it. So, yeah. So anyway, so I jumped in this helicopter for a couple of months and uh, well, I was uh, riding shotgun, quite literally. And yeah. you were, you know, uh, helping with helicopter muster, but also, uh, you know, doing feral pig shooting and, and a number of other things too. So you, you do get good with a gun after that, but uh, I wouldn't be able to shoot one now. So it's interesting because there's lots of listeners um, that mm. listen to this from all around the world. And okay. the, the, the thing that I find interesting is that, like, where your parents come from and all that sort of stuff, yep. like, the size of the cattle farm was probably the size of the United Kingdom. How big was the cattle farm? Well, I, I don't remember. The temporary. So it, that's massive. massive. Yeah, no, it was massive. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. right. You know, and so, as you know, Holland is a very small country. Yeah. And the UK, <laughs> you know, they squeezed about 60 million people exactly, in there. Yeah, so, yeah. Exactly. So, probably fit three or four UKs in there, I'd say. But, but that's, that's huge. Thing. People don't understand the actual, like, Australia's oh. a big place, right? But, like, the one farm yeah. is literally, like, a size of a small country. Like, they're, they're enormous, these oh, easy. farms. And oh, then easy. so to get around them would yeah. take months, weeks, all that sort of stuff, so hence the reason for the choppers. And mm. so the other thing is that you've got so much land, there's so much to do. Yeah. So they must employ a lot of people at the same time. Well, back then, yeah, it was mainly uh, – sort of, so for the cattle master, mm. the, the the Indigenous guys were unbeatable. I mean, the horsemanship and the, the living – like literally living off the land because we'd yeah. move the, – the camp would move every couple of days with the herds, of course, and we'd – we were living under a tree, under a tarp, you know, yeah. when it was raining and things like that, and then we'd 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 eat the bush tucker. So it's funny when all these shows came on TV and they were all deranged, you know, everybody's watching these, oh, my gosh, look at that bush tucker. And so I've been out there two and a half years eating that, you know, foul <laughs> snake, tortoise, uh, you know, fruit, fruit bats, every, every single thing that you could think of was, uh, I can't say I enjoyed it. Uh, but no, but still. No, that's right. But uh, eating the bush tucker, it was, it was like a very, very formative years. And so when um, uh, hardship came, you know, later on in life and whatever hardships I go through now, it's sort of pales into insignificance almost because you, 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 you've you been there. I've been not only broke but destitute broke, you mm. know, <laughs> really. And, and in fact, not a bad way to start life. Yeah, it's you can a, only go up from there, can't you? You can only really? go up from there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was I was very lucky in a way too because uh, I, um, I, I, I have a, a sort of uh, allergy to alcohol and so and I found that out early on it made me very very sick so I couldn't even drink alcohol to drown my sorrow <laughs> so you had to deal with it so I had to deal with it yeah I know it's crazy isn't it so I, I, I have a and even to this day you know I have a tiny little bit of red wine or something like that but if I have two red wines I feel absolutely violently ill so oh, it's, yeah 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 something in the in the, in the alcohol so anyway that's an aside but the the thing is that you know yeah dealing with the hardships in life and so on it's just uh, something you've got to confront head on and uh, uh, out of out of every bad situation, absolutely something beautiful comes. It's something good comes. It it, it it really does come. You may not might not see it for many years, but it does come. So you're 18 and a half ish yep. when you when you decide, okay, I'm going to leave the farm. Mm. During those two years, you must have made some good mates. 
I did. I your did mate, make some. What was your new family? Really, wasn't it? You were thrown into a new family. That's right. Yeah. So on the cattle station back then, back in the bad old days, you were either punching on with someone, mm-hmm. and uh, of, of which I lost most of those fights. I might say I wasn't the, that big a guy. <laughs> and there was all bigger, tougher guys, and there, there was you know fights would break out, or you were great mates with them. And I, 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 I just you know some of those guys to this day, I, I think back fondly and the way they taught me about the bush and and it, it just absolutely fantastic. It really, well, I was deeply, deeply privileged to, to do that. Great, great friends. Okay, so mm. an 18-year-old kid these days, they're a different breed, mm-hmm. yeah? Should they all be made to either go out in a cattle farm for a year or national service or whatever way you want to do it? But, like, imagine the life skills they'd learn if you threw them out in a farm in Tipperary or wherever you're going to go for a year to then go and live like this. Well, what a great idea. But I think that, you know, in some ways, Brett, that works good in theory, and I've seen it even in the fire service. You mm. know, you can put people in a, in a uniform and put them in a fire truck, and and I don't mean to say, you know, it's only thankfully not too many, but you can give them all the teach, teaching and schooling and education you want, but they still don't learn. Yeah. You know, and it's... No, it's cool. Yeah, and it's like anything. And I think, you know, it's a... If we say, look, you know, put everybody out in a cattle station, look, you, of course you'd learn something. Mm. Of course you would. But would they learn the lessons that we really need them to exactly. learn? Exactly. So, no, that's a good point. Yeah, so it's more about um, horses for courses. And I think, you know, something you just said resonated with me before is about uh, people learn in different ways. Yeah. And that's the trick is if you, if you can... Get if you can hook into that, you are you, you you conquer the world. You really do. Find out what they do, what they're good at, and then you just push run them that. down. Yeah, that's them. right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So eighteen and a half, we're leaving mm-hmm. the cattle farm. What was yep. that decision? What, what made that decision? Look, uh, I don't know. I must have grown a brain, half a brain back then. <laughs> uh, I realised that it was somewhat dead end. Whilst the you know the fantastic life skills and education was good, there was no future yep. as such there. And I I did look around at some of the older guys, and I, I saw there was say, you know, there was a real problem. Let me not say here was beer and Skittles. I mean, there was there was some real problems out yeah, on these cattle sure stations and, you know, a lot of people had gone out there to hide from, you know, previous lives yeah, and so on. So f- for me, the decision to go into town or back back to Darwin City was uh, not too hard mm-hmm. and then I got a, a, a series of uh, dead-end jobs and, and bits and pieces just to, you know, pay, way, uh, you know, pay my way and pay my rent. Uh, and so on, and then the uh, I bumped into a couple of firemen, and uh, they just started talking to me about the fire service. And so you remember that day? Remember that day like it was yesterday. Really? Yeah. And that was sort of the life changer. Well, it, it sort of was. I was boxing then too. I'd been boxing since uh, for for many years, and I'd done uh, you know amateur boxing. And uh, let me say also, I wasn't particularly good at that. I was one of the, <laughs> one of the slowest. I hold the record, but for uh, losing the most amount of blood in any one time at my gym. So I do hold the record. Well, but that's a good record. That's a beautiful record. The record's go. a record. But uh, yeah, so some of those lads were just absolutely fantastic athletes and I, whilst I was uh, pretty fit, I, I couldn't match them for talent. So, you know, you have to admit that. Anyway, look, I bumped into these two fireys and we just got talking and they said, you know, we've got recruit schools coming up, why don't you have a shot? And I was very fit at the time, but uh, I was lacking in the, um, uh, you know, the academic side yep. of things which was required. What I did was I had some money uh, out of the cattle station, I'd saved a lot of money and uh, I hired a teacher. Uh, a tutor. Yep. And just I did one-on-one with her a couple of days a week and uh, I got, brought myself up to a level and I, 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 I didn't – I can't say I passed it really well, but I did pass more than pass. well. Pass is a pass. <laughs> and then I did very well in the physical and then, uh, of course, uh, I did well in the interview was where really I, I think is where I probably managed to get across the line possibly better than most. So you're in Darwin. 
And where was the school in Darwin? No, so that was in uh, the Belmont training ring. Sorry, the Belmont training. Uh, wing down there in Perth. In Perth, yeah. Okay. So I went down for four months down to Perth. Yeah. And uh, had you been to Perth before? I had never been to Perth before, and went down there four months at the training wing down there, and learning all about firefighting and the, just just all the stuff. It was great. I mean, sensational four months. Yeah. Well, what enthralled you the most about that stuff? You know. Um, Back then, I mean, you talk about this talk being all about me yeah. and, and that's a fair fair call, but back then it was all about me and I was able to concentrate on me and do things for me and get fit for me and do all of these things. But that was after I left there and three weeks after coming back to Darwin and starting my career, I was uh, I, I responded to a horrific car accident and everything changed, my entire well, they can't teach you that. Focus. No, you can't. No. So you can teach you. Like a mate of mine's a fiery, and yeah. he tells me how much he loves fire. Yep. From the point of view that it's like a talks to him type thing. Like mm. you can, and and these are the things obviously that you're taught. But then there's no way you can be taught about some of the shit you're going to see. No, and, and therein lies the weak spot because you don't, you really don't know until it happens. And uh, do they teach you anything in that space? Like what, what at the in Belmont, mm-hmm. what they say? Okay, you're going to go to a car accident, mm-hmm. yeah, and you're going to see some stuff. Yep, yeah. They obviously they show you imagery and do all that sort of stuff to try sure. and, and show that. But how how do you get taught for that? Uh, well, I mean, you don't get taught. It doesn't matter what. I mean, any any theoretical thing cannot prepare you necessarily for the practical you have to be able this is one of the tricks of being a, a really what i think is a really good fire officer or yeah. a critical incident first responder you've got to be able to convert theory into practice mm-hmm. once you can do that then you've bridged the gap that's then you that's where you see the really good operators so look uh one of the good things about fire services these days is they recruit people who have male and female so so who have good life skills and experience and you'll see that as very much part of mm-hmm. their recruiting is life skills and if you can demonstrate that to them you'll go very well and that's why you know recruiting 18 19 21 year old kids it, that's not probably going to fly yeah. yeah now having said that there are uh, kids that you know 21 year old kids that perform outperform me on the very best day that I ever had so yeah. it's not you know it's not just one size fits all here but that said, I, I would think somebody in their later 20s with life skills and experience and, have, you know, seen and done some things mm-hmm. prepares you better for the rigours ahead. And you're not... you not as the same broad. for the police and that as well. Oh, oh, for sure, you know. And, we, and all emergency services. Oh, yeah. And, and look, you know, we, we work shoulder to shoulder. Right? Yeah. 30 years, I work shoulder to shoulder with police and ambulance crews and uh, just sensational people that had, had joined for all the right reasons to do something bigger and better than themselves and, uh, and 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 do something for the community. And as we watch the COVID unfold and the, the the bushfires and all the things that have unfolded, look at these people. They throw literally launching themselves on the front line yeah. for the community, and that is a beautiful thing. And I take my hat off to them. Hundred uh, percent. You know, sensational people. And I mean, we. You know, I'm not saying uh, celebrities don't do a great job, but we should be it should be the other way around. Let's pay celebrities a hundred grand a year, and let's uh, quadruple the <laughs> wages of oh, the police for don't, don't disagree. You know? Don't disagree at all. Yeah, you know. Okay, so we're we're 19 yep. when 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 you're in the fireys, when you first start in the fireys, are you 19? 20? No, 23. I 23. Okay. 23. Oh, you had the jobs in between. That's yeah, right. jobs in between. Uh, 23. 20. I turned 24. So you're single during that state? Yep, single, yep. and then I. Uh, 
uh, came back to, um, well, four months down there. It was fantastic in Perth. I mean, what can I say? Cottesloe Beach. Uh, shout out to the Ocean <laughs> Beach Hotel and all the other places where we went to party on. I wasn't really a drinker, but, uh, you know, just the fantastic parties you'd have yeah. there on Sunday nights. I think they still go today. You I'm know, pretty I have, sure they do. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they do. Uh, you know, and lying on some of those beaches. And, and so just like the Gold Coast here, sensational stuff. Anyway, so I did uh, reasonably well, actually, out of the recruit course. I did uh, well and, and got some good uh, marks there and came back, you know, full of beans, ready to roll. And then... Um, so you go straight into a role in yep, Darwin Fire? Straight, straight in. Yeah, okay. Yep, so you're based so in Darwin still? You're st- based in Darwin, yeah. Mm-hmm. So nowadays they do a much more better mentoring role and you get a better, you know, more experience. They ease you into it. And it, it's trust me, it's a much better program these yeah. days than back in the bad old days. And uh, so, but I joined... Uh, so, yeah, so I joined operations straight away, straight out of uh, uh, re- recruit school and um, started and I think it was three weeks into it, was my uh, apps? It was what I call the wake-up call, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I responded to uh, the crew, and I responded to a horrific high-speed car accident late Saturday night. All the ingredients: speed, alcohol. Uh, I suspect drugs, but uh, let me not uh, uh, cast aspersions. But it, it, it certainly appeared that way. Uh, there was five people involved in this vehicle, and uh, four were trapped fast. And it, we were there for hours. Um, you know, literally cutting them out and so on. And so with, with vehicles that have, uh, you know, impacted a pole or any anything like that, what you're doing is essentially disassembling and, and dismantling the vehicle around the person so that you don't cause further trauma. Yeah. Uh, so, and so the, obviously and you work in tandem with police and you work in tandem with the uh, ambulance crews, the paramedics on scene who are uh, preserving life and saving, you know, d- 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 trying to preserve the, the person and you're frantically working on trying to disassemble this smashed vehicle that's got them trapped fast so that you can get them out the quickest way. So you would think about a strategy and how to get them out. Would we, you know, uh, cut the roof off? Would we fold the doors down? How are we going to do it with what you call the jaws of life, but we call them the cutters and the spreaders. Yeah. Uh, we don't actually use that terminology, jaws of life, in in uh, the uh, fire and rescue. And so we come up with a strategy and we get to work. And I was obviously a very junior firefighter and my, my I, you know, I had various jobs around the... Did they you know, warn you on the way, saying, hey, hey, champ, this is going to be a bit ugly? No. Get ready or... No, but if I... I'll, I'll give a shout out to one of the... One of the great things about uh, about this job was that I had a fantastic officer, and he was quiet, and he was uh, considered, and he was a, an exceptionally calm guy. And when I was at this job, when I got there, I felt this rise. I, I felt really felt frantic. I won't lie to you. And yeah. I thought, my God, I should have joined the post. I should have been a postman. What the <laughs> hell am I doing here? Yeah. This is ridiculous. You know, there was there was blood. It was like downtown Beirut. You know, a bomb had gone off or something. It was just there was carnage everywhere, glass and metal and, and uh, you know, plastic strewn around for 100 metres and then there in the epicentre of this was, you know, four smashed bodies uh, with, with, you know, parts thereof. So... But this guy was so calm, Gavin his name was, an unbelievably calm guy. And I thought, oh, well, that's the way he's supposed to be. So it never occurred to me. I started to calm down because he was so he was incredibly so... calm. Oh, wow. It never occurred to me then to become frantic and go running around. I thought, oh, well, that's the way you have to be. 
you know so and um and and it you know so these lessons what could i say that you know you can get these lessons in life so this is the theory being converted into practice so yeah and in fact i run courses on critical decision making crisis and emergency management preparedness i run all these courses but you, you know uh, when you see it in action uh, that's extremely powerful. So mm. that's the difference between, you know, the the talk and then the, the actual role modelling. And so role modelling is more powerful naturally because it demonstrates conclusively yeah, 100%. how to do it, you know. So... Uh, and I remember Gavin being really calm. Anyway, so we were there. I, look, I think it was a, it was a protra- what we would call a protracted job. It was three hours plus mm-hmm. uh, by the time we got everybody out, ambulances and so on. We lost a few. That uh, that happens. Uh, and then we all sort of went back to the station. And I I was um, w- with these uh, critical incidents. I remember, and even to you know a couple of months ago when I went to my last one, you um, it it it. Um, affects every fiber of your body you know it, it's not this is not something that you just see with your eyes and you 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 know your yeah, heart you feels a bit yeah, yeah. yeah it very much uh, almost permeates your 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 very you know the, the, your whole being if, if I could get a bit warm and fuzzy there so it um, it takes a different mindset to be able to process what yeah, you're seeing sure. and dealing with and so a different so my thing is I and a, a lot of people have you know asked me for advice oh Nick I want to be a firefighter or you know police or this or critical incident first responder and I say look um, it might well you look good in the gym and you, you, you're fantastic with your shirt off and I've got all that and that's fantastic but it's more than that it's the ability to process on a on a much deeper level what yeah, you're seeing. Sure. Because don't forget, Brett, you know, we we go through our lives and we see people in perfect condition. You know, they're walking, talking, so on, their arms and all their limbs are attached and so on and their head's still there. And then when you go to these critical incidents, especially the high-speed stuff, uh, it, you, you see them not like that. And and, and it's, a, it's an enormous shock. Yeah. It assaults you because your brain's not used to seeing that. Yep. So you've got to be able to process it in a different way. So all situations that we respond to are ambiguous and therefore require extraordinary thinking. And that's probably the best way I can say it. So you get back from this first mm. incident. Yep. And do you just get on with things? Not or do, does the commander sit you down and actually say, I understand it was your first time, here's how we deal with it, this is what we should do, et cetera, et cetera, or is it just actually the bell's ringing again, jump back, back down my fire pole? Uh, bell's ringing again, jump back down the fire pole. Really? Back, back in the bad old days, we probably didn't have the support that we needed. And that's do they no, now? No one's for, oh, yeah it's, yeah. it's a much better program now. Okay. And, and, you know, real shout out to all uh, all of the organisations around Australia. They've got their act together with that. I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, there's, there's some people fall through the cracks and it's still not perfect. Oh, of and we, we know that. Uh, but... Uh, the but as a 23-year-old young man, oh. yeah, seeing that for the first time in real life as opposed mm. to on video and sort of simulators and stuff, that's got to have a massive effect on you. Oh, it had a massive effect on me. And I, I, I kid you not, I went home that day, uh, that the morning. So that happened on late at night and followed into the morning. I went home. I knocked off at 8 o'clock that morning, went home. I actually wanted to leave the fire service. I thought yeah. that's the end of that career. I mean, this is ridiculous. If the, I don't want to see that. I mean, I, I didn't sign up for that. Mm. I thought, I mean, I was a single guy. I thought I'd drive around in a red truck with a uniform on and I'll get <laughs> some attention from a girl. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was broke, so I couldn't afford a car. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll drive a big, this big, big red, red fire truck. truck. Yeah, I don't need a car. I'm good to go. You know, yeah. I drive up Main Street during the dry season. We're good to go here. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. But it, 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 um, that brought me back down to earth. Oh, boy, with a thud. And I was, I was in shock, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I was sort of staring at – I was living on my own. I stared at the four walls and I was saying – what has happened here? 
you know what, I, I, I was in deep shock. Um, now, I won't lie, uh, I was always in deep shock with all of the jobs that I went to. Yeah. However, I processed it differently. Yeah, you learned how a, to process it a bit Yeah, it was a different, a different mindset that was required and I could see that I had this choice to make, you know, you either process it differently or you leave. It, it really literally got to that and so... What made you uh, go back the next day? Um, uh, well, I mean, there's a, a little bit of... You know, I mean, I'd invested so much of my life in it, and yeah. uh, so there's that. The the second thing is, I I suppose I didn't want to admit weakness. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, I probably <laughs> would have booked off sick for about a month. <laughs> so what the hell? Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, you just sort of went back to work and got back on with it, and then there followed many critical incidents after that. But did you then, think when you were okay, I'm going to go back mm, again tomorrow. I'll I'll get through mm, this. I'll make this happen. But I think this might be one of the shorter term careers, and this isn't something that I'm going to stay in for thirty odd years. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. We're sort of sure. okay. Let's, Let's look around. Let's see what's next. Oh, Brett, I went to a couple of uh, big jobs after that and said, no, that's it. At the 10-year yeah. mark, I'm out of here, bro. <laughs> you know, I'm checking out. And so. then at the 20-year mark, I'm still here, but I'm, 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 definitely, I'm, leaving. I'm definitely leaving. I'm definitely leaving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, yeah. So that, uh, that, that, that was it. But, uh, I mean, look, at the same time, uh, let, me, let me say this, uh, that – when we respond to these jobs, and this is how I viewed it, and this is one of the things that was able to you know, change my mindset, I, I was able to, um, I was able to to do something that was. Um, I was deeply privileged to be with people in their last moments. I was deeply privileged mm. to be with them and help them to either save them, you know. So I, I stopped looking at myself as a fireman, uh, firefighter, and I stopped looking at myself as a critical incident first responder. I looked at myself as a person who gave, who was able to, at least on, on most occasions, was able to give mothers back to their children or give yeah. children back to their, you know, families or give a, father, but give a father. Yeah, that's right. So it wasn't a passion, it was a purpose. Mm. And that's a really good choice of words there. So I was able to, I, I, I looked at myself as someone who put families back together. And that's what I, 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 as crazy as that sounds, I never viewed myself as a firefighter. I viewed myself as a, as a, as, as, as somebody in the worst, worst possible moment of anybody's life, when you're pressed up hard against that pole, I was able to get them out or with the crews, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, this is a, a team effort and then get them back to their families. And the, the, the satisfaction, I don't care where you work. And I, I, I honestly, I don't care how much money you make, nothing, nothing, and I mean nothing will give you that much satisfaction th that it will, as a critical incident first responder, working right up at the sharp end of the spear, and that is a beautiful thing, and and I take that away from my career as a, as a, as a gift yeah. uh, for me. So if you look backwards on this, you come from a broken family. Yep. Do you think being able to put families back together was also a, a, an extra way of looking at it. And you probably, I just saw your reaction on your face, you never thought of this, have you? But the thing is that being able to put families back together actually then helps with the fulfilment. Wow, that's a, a sort of a, a freight train of truth might have just hit me. Then, uh, <laughs> Brett, um, I, I think, uh, you know, for any of the psychologists out there listening, they, they would see... I'm definitely not a psychologist. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> I need one, but I'm not one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to go with you after this and get one too. But, but, but uh, that's the thing. Like, yeah. if, you, if you have a look at that and you look yep. at the family you come from, did you ever make up with your family? Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, the, the... It was his after? That's right, yeah. So, so after I, you've seen all this crap and you've seen all this stuff happen, you then actually 
actually then go back to the to the, the family unit hmm. and make that whole again. Yeah. So uh, look, you know, it has been a tempestuous sort of relationship along the way, oh, and there has been some some differences and so on. But I, I'd like to say that I, as best as I could, I could I reconciled with my father and he with me before he passed away. And yeah. I, I think there's a, you know, and that's where you sort of let go as well. I mm-hmm. mean, there is no, you know, you can't beat yourself up and anybody else after that. I mean, when somebody passes away, that's the end. And you yeah. have to call time on these things as well. And, you know, whilst I, you know... Uh, once again, it might be a, a good question for the psychologist. Uh, <laughs> uh, whilst I, I may not have, have reached forgiveness or that stage or with everything, yeah. I certainly have reached acceptance. And yep. acceptance, if that comes before forgiveness, then at least uh, I've found the, the peaceful spot. You know, the, the, the ship, the important the thing, ship in the storm finds a, a cove where it weathers the storm, yeah. you know, and uh, the storm rages on but the ship is uh, okay for now, you know. And, and that's it's sort of uh, probably how I look at it. Uh, uh, you know, is the acceptance that this is life and, and, and I've at least been able to make something of it. And, uh, you know, an insight there that you've just given me is that with the broken families, I've been able to put them back together, yeah. sort of physically, so that uh, in, in some cases, uh, and then with the team, let me say, with the oh, team, no, with course, the team, the course. team. Remember, this, this is this, about yeah, you. Yeah, though, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and, and I, find, I find it really interesting because mm. people find it so hard to talk about themselves, right? Mm. And people find it so difficult. They can tell you about their career and their life, but then when some of that reality drops, it's just like, oh, actually, because then you start thinking about stuff and you start thinking, actually, this happened way back then, that I've just done that, hey, that matches, those those, those pair of sevens are now there, they'll put them on the table and those, and all these things happen for a reason, and I find it really interesting that at 23, when, when you've sort of become this fiery, and you then weren't a fiery, you were actually a person that put things back together. It's, it's really interesting, I think, anyway. Yeah, well, it was incidental that I wore a uniform and incidental yeah. that I, you know, had a title and so on and in later years, of course, uh, became a watch commander and, and ran operations for for the for my crew and, uh, you know, across the... So how does that work? Do you, you win the fireys? Do you go up through ranks yep. and grades and stuff yep. like that and do you have to sort of do exams to get there Correct. or is it like you plucked yeah. out? No, no, not plucked out. So you would uh, apply to do exams and so on. I did uh, fire engineering and then mm-hmm. I also did the station officers uh, Not course. bad for a bike left school. Uh, yeah. Oh, look, uh, I tell you what, the grief. This is where my beautiful wife comes in because I, I have to say, that seriously, I was uh, really struggling with the chemistry, physics, hydraulics, maths, all these yeah. sorts of things that you needed to do fire engineering. So anyway, I, I, I came across this sort of formula for me learning, you know, and, and uh, I used to sit on the weekends and uh, we, we actually weren't were married. Oh, no, I think we might just got married. But anyways, just before we got married as well, and I've been studying for two and a half years and... And I used to sit there w- with Simona and I used to dictate to her all these things to write down. She'd write down these essentially cheat sheets. Yeah. So I ended up with this, you know, entire folder full of cheat sheets. But, anyway. but that's why you learn. But, but, well, I condensed down, you know, two and I would say four years' worth of learning into one folder and I was able to read it in a week yeah. and refresh and then able to go and sit the exams. Because you remember it. E- exactly. Now, don't ask me what the hell I did <laughs> <laughs> because I don't remember. But, but this was, uh, it was actually one of the things uh, that... Uh, that got me across the line uh, or one of the things, it was the thing that got me across the line and if uh, Simona hadn't been in my life then, I, I could not possibly have taken that step then to become a watch commander. So yeah. these, are, these are critically important steps. Uh, you know, I, know, okay. I know I married her for some reason. Let, let's go there then because I, I met your beautiful sure. wife just before we, uh, yeah. we started the podcast. And so mm. where did you meet? 
Uh, well, I'd, I'd like to tell you this fantastic story about this uh, romantic never setting. No, never. <laughs> <laughs> I saw her in a in a shoe store. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I kid you not. It's, yeah. it's really in Darwin. Uh, in Darwin, I saw yeah. her in a shoe store. And in fact, uh, you know, uh, shout outs for athletes' foot here. And um, I, I, did she I, have like the striped shirt on? Uh, no, she didn't. No, have a stripe. Sorry. <laughs> she was shopping for shoes too. Oh, she was shopping. She wasn't working shoes. there. And uh, she looked at me. I looked at her, and I said, "Well, you know, I just, I just looked at. Her. I couldn't stop looking. I mean, you know, it's just one of those." Moments in You're that community. creepy bloke in the shoe store. Well, I mean, yeah, well, absolutely. You know, <laughs> nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm the guy you call the security on. So uh, we sort of saw each other there, and then um, we we had uh, sort of bumped into each other sometime later. In fact, in her office, and uh, it was just a chance meeting. And I I, I said to her, I said, look, you know, um, I don't have much time here because I'm just passing through the office. And I said. Look, could could you call? Can I just leave you my number? Would you call me? I'd love to, you know, have a coffee with you or something like that. It wasn't anything, you know. It wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't a pickup. Wasn't that smooth, really? No, no, it wasn't. Mm. Yeah, I just I was sort of stuttering for words because, <laughs> of, oh my God, here's this beautiful woman, and I can't breathe properly, you know. And so anyway, and uh, did you have your fire uniform on? Uh, no, uh, yeah, I did actually. Oh, I did so have my fire ins. Yeah, yeah. Take so. the uniform. Anyway, as it turned <laughs> out, she did ring. She rang the fire station because I given the number of the fire station because I was going back there for a couple of days. And um, in fact, my mate, who you know, my brain dead mates at the fire station, <laughs> had forgotten to give me. Oh her. no! So anyway, down being a small place, I bumped into her three weeks later. And uh, why didn't you return my call? And you I'm, bastard! I'm looking, <laughs> that's right. She said yes, I did call you. I spoke oh. to a guy named XYZ, yeah. I can't remember his name, and that sort of thing. So I probably went back to the station, of course, I wanted to beat him Give up. Him but a he said, oh, oh, by the way, a girl three weeks ago, Simona <laughs> called you. So, uh, so, so that was it. But uh, I asked her, I said, uh, you know, I said, look, I don't want to be forward or anything. Do you have a boyfriend? And uh, if you do have one, would you like another one? You know, is it? <laughs> I was trying to be smart ass, but anyway, um, uh, yeah, so so, so rest is history, and uh, it comes from a very traditional, uh, beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful Italian family, just yeah. sensational. Yeah, just great people, great, you know, just a real privilege to be part of that family and uh, and food. Brett, my food. I'm, I'm hearing you. I never married an Italian person because I couldn't get oh, that. It's ridiculous. It really. I had to double my training <laughs> regime. You know, it was just mental. So, yeah. And I, I just, I have to say, I mean, I'm deeply, deeply privileged. So, to how long have you guys been together? Uh, oh, don't I'm supposed to know this. Come on, 20, 24, He's listening, remember? <laughs> twenty-four <laughs> years. Twenty-four years married. So I've been together for twenty-six years or there. We were twenty-four years married a couple last week. Yeah, yeah, oh, fantastic. So, Congratulations, yeah, no, you too, mate. You yeah. too. We, we, we've done well, haven't we? We've done well. We, bat, yeah. we both bat way above our weight, and both of our wives have got similar names. So there you go. Yeah, that's, that's Simona. Very, Simona. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very that's, interesting. That's right. And so during this whole time, because mm. I know it's tough on wives and girlfriends and that yep. when you're actually um, married or partnered with a critical incident um, first person, responder, yeah. first responder mm. um, because firstly are they going to come home tonight mm. <laughs> and and secondly what the fuck are they going to have seen that night that's going to then affect everything that's going yep. on because obviously every time you you never get used to it so every time you see something it's going to have an effect on something right so that's just the way life is mm. so like my heart and and sort of faith goes out to these women because and men and vice versa that are there waiting for their partner to come home, and then when they come home, what they've got to deal with. So during this time, obviously you've got a great wife. Um, how, how does that happen? Like, talk talk me through that process. Like, you get married and do all that. Did you get on one knee? I didn't ask you that. 
I did get down on one knee and yeah. uh, and and propose, and uh, you know, astonishingly, she said yes. I mean, did I was just it shocked me more than anybody. <laughs> I was like, really? Oh, okay. All right, well, let's, well, do let's do that. Yeah. So, but did but do you ever think about that? Like what it was like yeah. for them during that process? I, I do, and I and I reflect on it even today too, Brett, because mm-hmm. I I think that what happens is that you as you unload, someone else picks up burdens along the way. So it's one thing to unload, but who picks up the the, the burden then? Um, for the beautiful Simona, she had she had two things to contend with with me, and uh, you know. Uh, one of them was was my childhood and uh, those things started to come out because mm-hmm. I had a soft place to fall. Yep. I had someone to talk to who I could trust. Yep. I had someone who I could express myself to and, and so on. And I remember there was a, a time there that I couldn't stop crying. You mm. know, you'd talk about it and you, you'd, you'd start crying and you couldn't stop. And, in fact, I was actually scared about crying because I was, I was wondering when the hell I was going to stop. But apart from that and then along the way were critical incidents and things like that and, and uh, my career was progressing, of course, and, you know, and uh, as you do, you become a watch commander and then I was taking care of the four or five fire districts and so on and, and whilst with the crews, I mean, fantastic, awesome crews, uh, shout out to them. But um, you... you respond, get that more responsibility. Uh, yeah, well, well, that's right, yeah. And so, and so you respond and then, and then you go home and you say, look, you know, I, I went today and we, you know, we lost three people in a car So accident. you do that, you go home and you talk about it and you, you un, not unload but you sort of let it all out. Yeah, well, uh, well... It is unloading, I suppose. Well, in the Northern Territory, it was one of those things, you know, it was a small community. So, in fact, someone would know that I was at a job. So Nick's at, at work today yeah. and then come up, especially with social media, you know, comes up, you know, three-car motor vehicle accident, two persons trapped out at, uh, you know, the Humpty Doo sort of thing. Yeah. So it, she would already be well briefed on, you know, the the... the the accident, if you like, or you know, a structure fire out at Wayuna Cold Stores, or this or that, or whatever, she would know where I was and what I was doing yeah. in any case. Uh, but then you'd go home and tell her the 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 you know sort of the, the, the personal detail. side of yeah. it. That's right, uh, and so on. So Simona, I, I, I think you know, is a credit to her, uh, and and you know, one of the things I greatly admire about her is the ability to to you know hear that and then process it and then to to provide the love and support and the and the soft place to fall. And I think, you know, that uh, uh, for me has been a beautiful thing and uh, that's that in fact is what makes a marriage. You know, there's lots of other things that make marriages but, you know, if you can, if you have a, a safe place... Of course. ..you're, you're okay. Maybe if you can be honest with your partner... Yep. That's, that's the critical part, isn't it? That's, yep. that's the... Everyone always says to me, well, you've been together for like 29 years and yeah. like... You've been married for 24 years. How'd you do that? And I said, honesty. I tell her how lucky she is every day of her life. <laughs> but that, she just ignores yeah, that well, bit. Yeah. It's all about the honesty, though, like and, and being transparent about this stuff because, yeah. like, uh, all these guys or, or women that have got these other partners here and I couldn't well, – I'm not that clever. I couldn't handle that sort of stuff. Oh, like, yeah. but, but then, like, who do you unload to? Like, and that's what I mean. Like, like they cop it on that end, but at the same time, you're there for them. It's sort of give and take, isn't it, really? From that oh, that's right. I mean, I uh, – I write uh, some some articles. I've written things and have been in emergency response journals and stuff. That's a good outlet as well as, as mm-hmm. you know, writing about your experiences and and giving interviews and talking uh, is very cathartic. But uh, but also um, uh, y- you know with with uh, these sorts of I wrote this article. It was called it's for International Women's Day actually, and I'm a, a big supporter of domestic violence and yeah, and of white, course. As a, as a supporter of, of trying to eliminate it uh, and white ribbon, I was uh, heavily involved with and uh, and still hopefully uh, can be as they start up again, but I wrote this uh, uh, article called The Deficit and I sat down and I, I, I wrote about the way that what women have to give up and 
in order to be with us. Yeah. You know, they give up. I mean, look what they give up and sacrifice to be with us. You know, they're the ones that have the children. They're the ones no, that it's, it costs them physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It costs them. You know, on average, uh, women's... I mean, you look these statistics up, but on average, women's superannuation is one quarter of, of men's yeah. due to, you know, career, not just breaks, but smashing of their career. Mm. I mean, they call them career breaks. I'd call them, you know, career destruction or yeah. so, you, you know, and, and, and so there's all these things along the way that women give up. Now, sometimes we can't address that deficit. Sometimes yeah. it just is what it is uh, and, and that's it. So what we can do in a very feeble sort of way, well, I think I've done it. No. Nah. <laughs> I, did, I did the best I could, but anyway, in a very <laughs> feeble way is at least acknowledge that and say, do you know what? I mean, nothing says I love you like a clean house, right? Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. So so there's all these sorts of things where you say, look, let me support you yeah. in, in in this and that, that's a, a, a physical demonstration that's been demonstrative of your appreciation. I mean, it's one thing to say, look, I really appreciate that. Now demonstrate it. You yeah, know? of course. So it's that demonstrative uh, uh, way. And, it, it, you know, for me, it's about acknowledging the deficit and so on. So Simona, unfortunately, has to put up with me. Um, I keep telling her, you know, you, <laughs> you, should, you should pack your bags. You should go. But, but she keeps staying around for some reason. I wake, <laughs> wake up every morning and there she is. So the, the point I'm making is that if we can address that and, and, and acknowledge the the, um, the contribution women make in our lives, that, that is a very solid uh, thing, I think. Mate, do you hear a bloke say that? He's fucking sensational because, Jeez, seriously, I'm exactly the same as you in yeah. that front, is the fact if it wasn't for my wife, I wouldn't have four amazing kids. I, I wouldn't be here, guaranteed. No, no way in the world would I Oh, no, oh, no right absolutely. Now. No, 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 no it, way. Is, is the fact that I don't know how many times she's probably saved my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's unbelievable. And, and the, the things that they've done that you don't even think about and talk about and that sort of stuff is oh. just insane. Oh, well, that's right. I mean, we, we as blokes, we, we seem, and I'm not being, uh, you know, derogatory of blokes, far from it. I say these things tongue-in-cheek, but but also say with a serious note that, you know, we sort of wander around the planet unaware of a lot of, of things course. that they do. We sort of, oh, you know, turn up and, you know, don't even acknowledge the amazing <laughs> work that's been done behind the scenes, you know. And, and that's so what I, I sort of say. Look, um, I, I think when we start to live our lives on it with a little bit of depth, we start to get get the message. And I think the fire service brought these things home to me and, and the critical incidents. You know, you see life in technicolour and under a bright spotlight and, and it's it, it's somewhat truncated, you know, it's shortened. You know, the lessons yep. are real short and real hard and real fast. And, and I would say, and I'm not being derogatory towards myself, but I would say that, you know, certainly in my early 20s, mid-20s, I, I would be the, you know, the, the archetypal uh, what I call the uh, $3 scratchy. You know, it looks all shiny on the outside <laughs> and uh, you scratch just below the surface and you got nothing. So exactly. And that's the, the it's the terminology I use, the three dollar scratchy, because um, it's it's when we start to develop this depth and and, and it's, a, it's a lifelong journey. When we start to develop that, that's when we start these deeper connections, and that's when we start to have a, a you know a marriage that 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 matters and, yeah, and works course. and that has you know some some uh, depth and so on. But until then, uh, you know, sometimes I, I think you know young men they only learn through pain. You know, <laughs> more lessons. Oh, <laughs> come on, Brad. All my, all my lessons, mate. I've just been talking to you about pain, and that's where all my lessons came from. You know, that's very true, mate. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. So you're on the Gold Coast now. Yep. What, what, what makes the decision to leave Darwin? Like I've never been mm. to Darwin. I can't wait to go there. It's one of those. Yeah, great. It's place. one of those places I always wanted to 
but I want to spend some time there. I don't want to just go there for a week. Like, I want to go and spend some time there and actually understand it because it's like living in a different country. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and the same as, like, all the different states in Australia, mm. yep, they're all a little bit different, but Darwin's completely different and the Northern Territory is completely different. So I'd love to go and spend some time there and sort of just see what it's like. So mm. you've gone there, you've lived there for 20-odd years, what do you then? Well, what what makes the decision now? Okay, I'm going to leave the fire service. I'm going to going to do this. I'm going to come move to the beautiful Gold Coast. Well, uh, look, I've had a wonderful career, and I I decided a couple of years ago that uh, you know when an opportunity came up, we would we would move. And um, of course, once again, uh, Simona being the saviour, <laughs> <laughs> she told you. Yeah, you, she was. She? A, yeah, that's right. Uh, no, she came out one day and she said, "Look, I've been offered this fantastic job. It's based in Brisbane. It uh, you know, and it, and it's doing some meaningful work. And and, and a shout out to." the flood and drought uh, recovery agency here but uh, she got uh, uh, not so offered but you know certainly applied offered whatever and, and did uh, jump through some hoops anyway ended up with this job fantastic um and she came home and she said, "What do you think? We're good to go or what?" And I said, "Oh well, that's that's it. I'd like to step back." And so I'm I'm sort of helping the kids a, a bit, and uh, I'm I'm taking on more of that role at home. Plus, yep. obviously, doing uh, my consultancy work, which I was doing now for 15 years up in the Northern Territory. Um, and I stepped back, and 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 that was it. So we landed here, give or take, last week in uh, February, I think it was. There okay. about. It's actually, Simona came down a week. Good before. time, and he got locked away. Yeah, he got locked away <laughs> with COVID, and um, I, and that's it. So it was more about. Um, you know, obviously supporting her career, but also, you know, a sea change and we've seen a great change in the kids and, and so on. So how old are the kids? Uh, Christian is eight and Cosma is uh, just about to turn 15. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's a big change for them too. Yeah, good, great change for them and we've seen it really energised. Were they excited know. about that? Very excited, very yeah. excited. Uh, probably had enough of the humidity and heat up in Darwin, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, although it's been a fantastic place and it's given us so much, so... Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, you know, one day, never say never, I mean, we might return there should uh, uh, should the uh, job take us that way, but uh, uh, for now, this is home uh, and uh, it's been it's just been a wonderful move and really energised with with the move. Oh, that's good. And so now you've got your, con- your consulting business. Yep. And what are you doing in that? So essentially what I do is I offer work health and safety risk management crisis and emergency management solutions, uh, safety leadership. So I, I write, you know, the policy procedure. I go and do risk surveys on premises. Uh, I, I provide advice. I do a lot of training. I always get asked to do a lot of training. I do some training in the uh, critical incident space, the critical thinking, critical decision-making space and how to structure your thinking under pressure. So think high consequence, time poor environments. And that translates very, very well across to the business world. And uh, so as a result of that, I've worked with many, many different uh, organisations over the last 15 years because I ran it concurrently with my uh, operational duties as a, yep. as a watch commander and because uh, that was shift work. And so I was able to do it, you know, outside of work. So I had great strategic partnerships up in the NT with the Chamber of Commerce and also the uh, insurance industry up mm-hmm. in the Territory. I did a lot of work because a lot of the stuff that I do is risk, uh, and I enjoy that very much. And then I, you know, give uh, keynote speeches. I've done, uh, you know, things for the Australian Institute of Health and Safety. I just uh, done some work. I just did an interview last week uh, with uh, the Australian Road Safety Foundation. I'm trying to give them some support with uh, their campaign in August for road safety. So these are the sorts of things I like to get involved in. And uh, so is it more now doing things that you want to do? So you're more passionate about a certain angle. So that's the way mm-hmm. you want to aim. 
Well, uh, yes and no. I mean, I, I, I'm passionate about the whole lot. I mean, I, when I say passion, I mean I, the passion with some serious purpose there mm-hmm. uh, because I love to see people do well. And for instance sake, uh, in the NT, I was doing a lot of the training with Inside Police Fire and Emergency Services. I did a you know, three-and-a-half-day safety leadership course and in that, it encompassed, uh, you know, critical decision-making, risk, legislation in and around that uh, and, and, a, and a number of other sort of safety leadership topics. And that was deeply fulfilling because I was able to take all of the the, the learnings out on the road and even yeah. back to that very first uh, accident and all the ones since that I remember. And I've, I've made them sort of case studies, to be honest with you, Brett, and that's what I deliver to business as well. I sort yeah, of say, yeah, okay, well, what is it that you need? And so they say, oh, well, um, for instance, say, oh, we want time management. I say, okay, well, you know, I'll give you time management, you know, on steroids because what I'll be able to do is say, well, this is how I manage time on the fire ground and off the fire ground and this is how you get results real quick in high consequence time poor environments. And so from that aspect, as I say, it translates across very well to business and it's given me my point of difference by far with with other uh, firms and consultants yeah. because of that uh, incredibly, and I'm very privileged for that, the incredible uh, practical experience that you bring straight off the fire ground at a critical incidence, not just uh, car accidents, but uh, structure fires, hazmat, hazardous material uh, spills, ro- truck rollovers and, and, and warehouse fires and so on. How do we bring that and how do we make that? Uh, what are the lessons learned out of that that we can translate to business? You know, time management, risk management, legislation, critical thinking, how do we write policy and procedure that stands up you know, in line with the legislation? These sorts of things. How did you do any of that in schools? Well, I, 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 I had to be great. Yeah. Like if you if you go into a, a year twelve mm. say, group of kids and say a truck's just rolled over, what are you going to do? Yeah, those sort of things where they've got to actually sort of then work out how to fix the issues. Um, I reckon there's a there's a massive space for that because they don't get taught that stuff. No, and I think look, yeah, you could talk about a truck roller over and I can use that as a case study. Yeah, example. But I think you know one of the things that's come out of this COVID is just I'm sitting at home and I'm watching the TV. You know how you scream at the (laughs) scream at the the TV. It's It's, we we need critical thinking. Yes, the critical thinking it for me is at the very top of the tree when it comes to any business. Now, if we can think and structure our thinking in times of stress, high consequence, and all this misinformation, this is the world and the time and the day and age of misinformation now. I can find you (laughs) facts on COVID that counter any other facts. Over this side and, and, and face masks. Okay, all this, all the facts. Good, let me go find you some other facts. Yeah. You know, And on and on it goes. How do we structure our thinking so that we can make good decisions uh, very fast and high consequence environments. Now, don't watch the media. Yeah, yeah, that's a good start. <laughs> so, so from that perspective, that's that's really I think is what the sharp end of the spear for me is. Although I'm just as happy sit there writing policy and procedure for people. Or I'm, I did um, up in the territory for the last uh, four uh, Italian festivals. I wrote all the risk management plans for yeah. them. Yeah. So uh, we wound up at the Italian festival, of course, but also the insurance. Uh, so twenty thousand odd people go through there, and I wrote all all the uh, risk management plans, which is fantastic. So Not bad for a kid that failed school. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, horrendously failed. <laughs> I, I, I remember this uh, this uh, teacher, uh, st- especially in, in uh, where I was at the school, I won't name it, but it was, it was brutal. And you'd have to stand up and they would read out your marks and they, the kids would just laugh, of course, what else? Yeah. And uh, it was just 
F across the board, you know, fail, 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 fail. It was just zero. So uh, my lovely wife says to me, she said, look, look at this, you know, and uh, we're at these pivotal moments when, yeah. when things are going well. Uh, she says, look at this. This is, this is the little boy from Blacktown. Got it? So that's it. Chin up, let's roll, you know. So I, I, I love it. They know what that. to say, when to say it. Don't, don't they? they? You know, I... I How have they become so intelligent? Well, when you get wrapped up with your own BS sometimes, oh, we do, so we, true, wallow, so we, wallow in, <laughs> we wallow in our self-pity, you know. We do. You know those moments you have this self-pity and, you you know, oh, poor bugger me and that sort of thing. They just know exactly what to say. <laughs> Every it's time. Just, it's it's uh, like a verbal slap, you know, so, yeah. Oh, and, or, yeah, that's a good, very good point, that one. Mate, there's some questions that I always finish mm. my podcast with. What's your greatest achievement in life? Oh, gosh. It, 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 you know, definitely, definitely going to athlete's foot that day. Oh, really? <laughs> Did you buy shoes? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I just kept looking at this Italian girl. So, so I think, I, I think, you know, the the collaboration, if you like, yeah. and that's a silly word, but no, you know, the the meeting Simona and and the, you know, the the beautiful things that have come from that because I, I just sort of got enmeshed in a different world and a different life, and I. I didn't think it was real, but then it turned out, you know, this is, this is just beautiful. So I, I think, you know, achievement, uh, I mean, I think that that's, uh, you know, really the um, th- that relationship has been fantastic. And, of course, having two beautiful kids. I mean, that's, I mean, what a gift. That's, yeah, that's insane. It's, it's insane. Yeah. You know, and you look at it every day and look, look, what, look what our women give us. Look at what our wives give us. Look at, look at these, you know, and let us appreciate the women in the world and let us tip our hat to them. Now, I say all the time, I remember that first time when you grab your child, oh. literally, and you're going, holy shit, this is mine. Like, we've, oh. we've, we've created this. And it's like just the love and the feel. And it's like, wow, like, it's just ridiculous. I, I had the pleasure of doing that four times. So it was it was amazing. But at the same time, it's just something that changes your, your world. Oh, well, that's right. I mean, you, you just said something, this is what we created. If I could gently correct you there, we, we our, our job was about five minutes. They're, 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 oh, yeah, no, I'm here nine, now. Nine, oh, I'm going to take some credit. Nine, nine, months of, <laughs> nine months of heavy lifting. My but, kids uh, all look yeah, like yeah. me, so I'm all right. <laughs> well, that's right. Yeah, mine look like this. <laughs> poor, poor buggers there, anyway. I know, but so, that's this one. Who's the person or is there mm. one person or, or certain people that's influenced your career? Uh, so, uh, Can you pinpoint, like, him? Like was it was it the guy that you watched Commander on that first incident? Oh, absolutely! Or Look, and 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 one of the lessons it taught me was that uh, you can you can have, um, you know, this leadership thing. It's it's a, it's an amazing thing. It's a much more fluid than you think. This guy was cool and calm and collected, and it blew me away. But I thought that that's what's supposed to, how you're supposed yeah. to be. I went to another one. It was about three years after that, and there was a four car motor vehicle accident. There were seven people involved. It was high speed. These three cars have been dragging, uh, uh, doing a drag race, and they'd hit another car crossing the road, completely innocent. And there was, oh, Brett, there was carnage. The officer we had there, his name was Ian, and I couldn't, uh, seriously, this guy was ridiculously cool and calm. And I'm telling you, there was shit strewing up the street for 200 metres. Wow. This was just was a serious thing. There was blood everywhere. We were stepping in this stuff. It was, it was, it was that, that, that sort of black uh, ooze almost oh. that tells of death, you know, and, and uh, glass and th- it was horrific stuff. 
And this guy's as cool as a cucumber. He comes over to me, so Nick, uh, would you have a minute, please? Please come over here. Could you just hold this guy's hand? We're going to cut him out now and you just hang on. <laughs> I want you to hold him because he was half hanging out of the car yeah. and my job was to sort of hold him up to take a bit of the strain off so so that, you know, he wasn't at an, an obtuse angle yeah. and he could breathe properly. You know, it was about the, the maintaining the airway. And uh, meanwhile, the paramedic, and I remember she's fantastic as well. She just, you know, was doing her work and fantastic. But it, it just this guy was cool. And I thought, oh, well, that's the way you're supposed to be. And and it was it was more about the these sorts of it wasn't necessarily a person it was more the moments yeah, yeah, that enough. you see along the way you know we can take anything away from Gandhi or we can take something away from you, you know the Dalai Lama I mean think of anybody any time we can take that away but it's more about the moments and the the, the lesson you know the 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 Technicolor and under a spotlight the qualities that they bring to the moment. And, oh, wow, that was powerful stuff. So after that, I just thought uh, I adopted this uh, philosophy as I was a watch commander responding to jobs. And even the last one that I ever went to, I remember my heart's beating out of my chest. And I get there and I always used to say to the crew, ah, it's easy, we'll we'll handle this, this will be fine, this is no problem. And it was just carnage everywhere. But Mm. I used to say that to myself as well, oh, no, 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 this this is easy. We'll, We'll get this done, this is fine, no problem. This won't be complicated. And straight away what it does is it changes the mindset. 100%. Yeah, people are saying, oh, well, if Belly said it's, Oh, well, this, yeah, oh, no, he's got the experience. Yeah, yeah, no, this must be easy. Uh, Well, it wasn't. You know, you might be there for three hours and then you do the hot debrief afterwards and they go, well, but that was pretty complicated, Billy. And I'd say, no, not not really compared to most. Yeah, if you, you know, so it was more the the mindset going in. Yeah, of course. Of course. Mm. Okay, quick fire questions. Ready? Favourite food? Italian. Favourite song? Um, uh, uh, Dreams by the Cranberries. Do you know what? That was at my wedding. No way. 100%. My mate played it on an acoustic guitar in the church. Was that your wife? Go, oh, I had that. I suppose I was supposed to say <laughs> some, some Italian song. But, <laughs> but dream, mate. Dream, yeah, dreams. Dream cranberries. my dreams with you. That's uh, beautiful. It's, uh, oh, there you go. Just yeah. made me go all tingly. Um, Favourite place in the world? Um, when I land, look, Rome, when I land there, uh, and I've been there many times now, as Simona and I, it, it, it feels like a second home. What's next? What's next? Uh, I really want to be the, the the very best at what I do here in southeast Queensland. And uh, I do travel as well, so I'll be the very best here and anywhere in Australia. <laughs> anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. Bring it on. Mate, thanks so much for sharing you, sharing you, which is what you've done today, and I really appreciate it. As far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks, <laughs> Nick. Thanks, Beth. Thanks for the opportunity, and hello to everybody out there. Cheers, mate. Cheers. What an amazing human. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you enjoy the rest of the Podfire podcasts and I really hope that you enjoyed Awesome Humans. Reach out to us on Podfire and all the social media channels as well as BJ Macker uh, to reach out to me personally. Have a great day.